guys excited to be here tonight? You guys ready to get going? For the three of us, welcome. Um, listen, a lot on my heart tonight to share, a lot to get through. And so I, uh, I think maybe you think that when I preach, communicate, teach um, against secular humanism, uh, the guy said they would pay me five bucks if I could get that in. So uh, uh, that when, we, when I preach that then um, like I'm done and I'm moving on. But I want to assure you that for instance, where we left off last week, the, the last verse in particular has been marinating on my heart like a chicken on a grill with good barbecue sauce. You know what I'm saying? Like, when, when God's Word just marinates your heart, it does phenomenal things. So I want to show you where we ended last week. James uh, chapter 4, verse 6 says this, but he gives more grace. First, I would imagine that you've experienced a bit of that this past seven days. Have you, right? Like, you've realized again and again, like, he just... He doesn't stop pouring out grace. At, listen, at the moment you think his grace is done, it's not even gotten started yet. And that's phenomenal hope for all of us, especially if you walked in here condemned, burdened, bogged down. He gives more grace. But then this is the piece that has really been marinating on me. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That last phrase has grabbed me. On Thursday it did, on Friday it did, even this morning it still was. Because I believe there's a difference, and I need to show you this, between these two things. There's a difference, next slide, between being humble and being humbled. All right? Let me give you some personal examples of vulnerability, if I may. Bath time at my house is a party, um, specifically with my children. Uh, uh, it's a party, okay? Some of you took that the wrong way. All right, bath time. My kids love bath time. Many of you guys know I take um, many showers a day, people may call me some kind of disorder. Uh, it's probably true, okay? Uh, so it's kind of rubbed off on my kids. My kids like to bathe, and that's good. I think that's a good thing. Last night, though, they were meandering out in the yard, uh, barefoot, much to my demise. I don't like being barefoot. Any of the rest of you guys? Any barefooters here? Okay, there we go. Repent and be saved. Anyway, um, so uh, I put Maddox, my youngest, in the, in the tub. I didn't realize that he had some mud little curdlings on his toesy toes, right? You guys know what happens in a bathtub when you get in with muddy feet. All of a sudden, there's like little crumplings all over the place. Is that a word, crumplings? We're going to, let's go with it, all right? You can use it in your personal vocabulary if you'd like. Anyway, crumplings all over the place, right? Well, Dawson gets in the bathtub, hasn't seen this, but for some odd reason, he gets in, sees like all of the dirt going around, and I'm not sure if he thought Maddox like did his business in the tub. I'm not, I'm not sure what he thought, but the kid went absolutely crazy. He's like starts beating on the side, like, Dad, get the dirt out, you know? And so I like grab the thing. I'm like frantically trying to like throw it under the drain. He's screaming, and because he's screaming, now Maddox is screaming, and then Avery comes in from the hallway yelling because she can't reach her cup on the counter, right? Now, listen, if you're a parent, all right? There's like a certain level. Once, and if you have multiple children, there's a certain level that you begin to reach as the volume level keeps increasing, right? I got one kid beating on the thing. I got one kid who who knows what's going on. Another kid is grabbing, you know. And I, uh, unfortunately, in that moment, this is last night, reacted a little bit angrily. Dawson comes in my face and he says one more time, Dad, get the dirt out. And I said, Son, settle down, right? And I... <laughs> But, but listen, it was to the point that the moment I said it, I felt uncomfortable because I, I, I knew I had crossed the line. Like, it's one thing to discipline your children. It's another thing upon his yell to yell back at him, right? Like, he doesn't understand that. He's three. He yells a lot, right? 
So right there, I said, son, listen, I like sat back. Son, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have raised my voice with you. Um, maybe Maddox should, like, you know, but I shouldn't have. Um, and then later last night, uh, every night in my home, uh, I, when I put my kids to bed, we do a time of family worship. And so we're just sitting around in, uh, in our bed, actually, just talking about God's word. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I just said again, like, listen, kids, I'm really, really sorry. Um, I know all of you guys heard me raise my voice to Dawson. It wasn't necessary. I'm really sorry. And uh, it was cool. I know Avery really got it. Dawson maybe got it. And Maddox was eating fruit snacks. So I'm pretty sure he <laughs> completely went over his head. But um, it was like genuine humility. You know what I'm saying? Like God had really done a work in my heart. I was really humbled. I was being humble. Now the difference between that is uh, best illustrated by a little situation with my wife. Uh, her name's Heidi. Every once in a while, uh, and this is at least uh, fairly decently common in my marriage, every once in a while you're having some communication, you know, back and forth, you begin to banter. And uh, for whatever reason, mostly uh, because of me uh, and something idiotic I've done, the conversation uh, begins to become a bit argumentative, okay? Now, uh, how many married folks here tonight? Please give it up for those folks, okay? Now, um, they all sat together. They like flock. There's no one over here married. You guys know, maybe you don't, every once in a while your marriage gets that way. So a couple days ago, Heidi had come to me and she had pointed out six things that were on my honeydew list that I told her I would do that I hadn't. Now, yeah, O's right. Um, uh, she, it, it was like really, really humbling to hear those things. Because she's like, hey, are you going to do these things? You said you're going to do this like two weeks ago. Like, what's the problem? What's holding you up? Anytime your wife tells you that, it kind of cuts you at the knees a little bit. It's humbling to get called out, right? Well, you have two choices. Maybe there's more. I only see two. Um, I can respond, uh, say I'm sorry, uh, you know, kind of, hey, honey, like what, you know, what kind of chocolate do you like? I mean, I, I can, you know, <laughs> respond, get the things done. I can go to it. Or uh, like I did this case, uh, I chose the latter. I pointed out the seven, the seven things that she had just done. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you got a list of six? I got, you, I got seven on you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got one on you. And, and if you've ever found yourself in this place, like if you're trying to one-up and start throwing daggers like we talked about a few, like it doesn't end well, right? That's being humbled. I didn't respond humbly. I was just humbled because I got called out, right? Now, the difference is seen a ton in our posture, we're called, and you're going to see tonight, to a very specific posture. It's one thing to have your legs broken and then to still try to stand up because the galaxy revolves around you. It's another thing to maintain the same posture all the time that's knees bent, face down, looking up at the Lord Jesus. And that's the posture tonight that we're going to speak of, not having your legs broken and trying to get yourself back up again so you can continue in your arrogance. Are we together? Okay. So I know it may seem uncomfortable to spend your life bent before the throne of God. I, I, I can never understand how people stay cross-legged and like, you know, when they sit, like with their legs crossed on the floor. I, any, like, especially you girls, I don't know how that's comfortable. Like my, it's like a spider with, it's just weird, you know what I'm saying? So I know the posture doesn't seem comfortable, but what you're going to find tonight is there's so much more comfort knee bent to the Lord, face down in humility than any other posture possible. Are we together? Right. So if you're not there already, turn to James chapter 4. We're going to study uh, verses 7 through 10. That's what we do here. Uh, this isn't a uh, show or a worship gathering of, of just people. This is the church gathered to study God's word. And so we rest in that tonight. So turn to James chapter 4. 
Verses 7 to 12 is where we'll be hanging, specifically a lot of work in, uh, verses, in verses 7 and 8. What's the page number there in the Bibles in our uh, seats? 870. So if you're looking for the page, that should get you in the proximity. You guys all there? Say I'm there. Thank you very much. And for that, uh, Moo, we appreciate it. Here we go. Uh, James, James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That doesn't seem encouraging. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil, uh, speaks against a brother rather, or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And finally in verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge and he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you? The scripture says to judge your neighbor. A powerful, powerful text that all begins with these words. Submit yourselves therefore to God. There are certain phrases that I call cuss words in the church. Uh, The Christian F word is fine. We use it all the time. It's our answer to uh, stop conversation when people ask us how we're doing. How are you doing? I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Everything's always fine. We're like the Truman Show that's gathered. It's horrible. It's not a good thing. We have these phrases that we don't like or that are bothersome. Another one in the church is uh, when Jesus commands us to forgive others. We're really willing to receive forgiveness when God opens His hand to forgive us. Like we can't wait to grasp the hand, but when all of a sudden someone has wronged us, defamed us, said something against us, harmed us, it's much more difficult to extend the hand of forgiveness though the Lord has commanded it. We at sometimes hate that command. Or how about this one, love your enemies. You guys do well with that one, right? Love your enemies. Oh, yes, God, I love doing that. Thank you so much for that command, right? We show our disdain of that command by not loving our enemies. And then we're like, yeah, yeah, but God, but you really don't understand what it's like to love your enemies. Yeah, about that. Um, Well, the scripture says that while we were still sinners, an enemy of God, he died for us. So he knows full well what it looks like to have enemies. In fact, those same enemies, at his willingness, put him on the cross and murdered him. Are we together, right? So there's all these phrases in the church that we uh, run from. We don't like. They make us uncomfortable. Submit is in the top three or four, I would say. Anytime the church hears that word, it makes us a little bit queasy, okay? We don't like hearing it because ultimately we don't want to submit to anything. Uh, We think that the thought of bending a knee to someone would show our weakness, and we're very uh, slow to show any form or kind of weakness. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, the word submit means, uh, in, in the Greek, it's hupotasso, uh, and it means to subject yourself underneath an authority, to sit underneath something, and as the term I'll be using all night, to bend the knee. That's what submit means. Now, I share, I share less so I can ha- uh, have a deep affinity for m- military films. Any of the rest of you guys, right? Okay. So if you like military films, if you've ever seen like Braveheart or Gladiator, uh, or the soon Dark Knight Rises, which is, isn't a military film. Someone said they would pay me five bucks if I got that in, so there it is. Uh, just kidding, of course. Um, if you've ever seen a military film, or at least played with a G.I. Joe, you know this, that there are, uh, in, in war, in battle, there are a com- there's a commander, right? And that commander knows who his troops are, his battalion, his um, crew. 
And the commander, in the heat of battle, will give commands. For instance, like, let's go this way, or surround this camp, or let's go out here. Now, a typical good soldier will, at the command, say what? Say, yes, sir, maybe a salute, okay. They'll do it, they'll act, they'll move, because the commander has said so. Imagine this. Uh, heat of the battle, a lot of bullets flying, grenades, grenade launchers, you name it. There's all kinds of artillery coming in, right? Like scud missiles, like whatever, it's heated. And all of a sudden the commander says, hey, uh, we need to like find shelter here because this is getting dicey, right? There's uh, some shrapnel all over the place. In my opinion, that's top ten words ever, shrapnel, right? Like things are coming in, it's, this is not good. And then like one of the soldiers raised his hand. He's like, yeah, I don't think so actually. Uh, that's, I know you're like what you're trying to do there, but... I think we should actually go this way. Like, that, that would be, that'd be better. And then, like, amidst the chaos, amidst the bullets and everything flying around, another dude over here raises his hand, right? And he's like, yeah, actually, both of you guys are idiots. We need to go, like, this way over here and then turn. Agree, the war would be lost, correct? The battle wouldn't be able to be fought. No one's listening. There is no leader. There is no commander. There's no clear-cut path to follow. I fear that the church finds itself in the exact same state. James says, submit yourself to God. Bend your knee to God only. Submit yourself. Subordinate yourself. Put yourself underneath His authority. There's only one voice, right? Uh, But the church is showing themselves to be like, yeah, that whole love your enemies thing. Actually, I got a better plan. Uh, I'm going to take a baseball bat to my enemy's mailbox. Like, how's that for a plan, God, right? Like any time it goes against our convenience, it infringes on our galaxy, we raise our hand to the Lord who's commanded these things in our best interest because they're His glory. And we fight and battle against that. And we wonder why the world's looking in saying, that church is a whole bunch of chaos. It's people going in every direction, yet the word is clear that we're to submit ourselves to Him. Now, I have uh, some things I'd like to share with you on this issue. If you don't mind, you don't have a choice, here we go. I think, this is, I think this is a massive issue for us because of this. We think that submission is revealing weakness. We think that submission is like a choice of ours. But unless you can make the sun rise, anyone here? Just real quick, we good? Okay. Unless you could make it rain, if you can, please do it fast. You know what I'm saying? It like sprinkled today and all of a sudden like everything was blooming and the grass was like shooting out of the ground. A drop of rain, right? It was crazy. (laughs) Unless you can do those things, you submit to something. See, you think, you think that because by not submitting to this thing over here, that then you're not submitting to anything and you and your big, bolstery, arrogant self are standing alone. Let me tell you this. The question isn't who you're submitting. The question isn't what you're submitting to. It's who you're submitting to. Because all of us are submitting to something. And you may be like, well, I don't believe in creation. So like the sun rising and all that's just science. Then you're submitting to science. Uh, This is uh, really uh, a found issue in the three uh, big things in submission that we see uh, in the Scripture in the New Testament. There's three main things. The one we're studying now, the second is submission to governing authorities, as long as those governing authorities aren't uh, calling us to go against the Scripture. And the third, mentioned by my count three times in the New Testament, wives submit to your husbands. Uh, This is a massive cuss word in the church, okay? Now, there's two reasons why uh, women struggle with this verse. Number one, they uh, haven't been taught it appropriately. They sat under some so- chauvinistic pastor or have a chauvinistic husband who tells them that submission is that they're to, you know, bend down and they're going to grab them by the hair and, like, lead them along, right? Old school barbarian style. That's not submission. 
The true picture of a marriage, listen, is the man bended knees submitting to God and then the man empowered to lead his home. And so as the man is in submission to God and the woman in submission to the man, they're both submitting to God. That's the true picture of a godly marriage. And so the women that I've counseled who have said, yeah, I'm just not going to, like, look at this guy. He's a dweeb. Like, how am I going to submit to him? You married him, right? Like, <laughs> you married the man, right? And so the women were like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to submit to him. Okay, then you're submitting to something. So what is it? Is it yourself? Is it your ideal? What is it then? Because if you're not going to submit to him, then you're going to submit to something. So if you think like by using the language, I don't submit to nobody. Like I do my own thing, then you're submitting to something. So the question becomes for all of us tonight, then what are we submitting to? Well, James, uh, 7, uh, James 4, 7 provides the two options. He says this. Uh, in verse uh, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the what? The devil and he will flee from you. Let's deal with the first uh, issue here. You're either submitting to God and resisting the devil or resisting God and submitting to the devil. Those are your options. You're like, but I thought the whole science thing. Hmm? Go that route for a second, right? You're either submitting to God and resisting the devil or resisting the devil and submitting to God. Those are your two options. And right now, in all of our lives, we're answering that, evidencing that by our existence. Are we together? Okay. Now, there's an amazing promise here in verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee. The resist is stand up against him, right? But it's all shrouded with what? Submission to God. You submit to God, he's going to flee from you. Jesus is a great example of this, as he is in everything. Matthew 4, check this out. The temptation of Jesus all of a sudden, Satan comes, and we're just going to look at the third. Jesus has been fasting and praying for 40 days, verse 9 of Matthew 4. And he said to him, Satan, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Can you just picture this for a moment? Satan versus Jesus here in the epic battle. Any of you guys who have heard of Carmen and Champion, this is the picture, right? <laughs> just kidding, right? Uh, if, you, if you do me a favor, like later, YouTube, Carmen and Champion, right? You'll appreciate that. Uh, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And what does it say? Then the devil left him. The devil left him. He's gone. I have been told, listen, I've been told all my life that the stronger I am in the Lord, that the devil's going to keep coming at me harder. I've been told that all my life. What this scripture says is, when I bend the knee to the Lord and submit to God, the devil will flee. I've been told all my life, like, in, like in, under a massive attack at times, like, dude, you must be doing something right. Because Satan's coming after you. It's go time now. But this scripture says, when I submit to the Lord, he will flee, which means I don't even have to recognize the battle because the knee is so bent to the Lord, he's protecting me, shielding me from the enemy. There's no opportunity to come in, and just like he did for Jesus, he gets to step, and he runs the other way. He flees because he knows there's no war there, right? So for those of you right now, like, under deep attack and someone's telling you, like, man, 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 like, you must be doing something right. Yeah, maybe they're only seeing the outside. Maybe inwardly you're really battling, really struggling. And so Satan sees an open door and he continues to keep it on. The scripture says, submit to God and the devil will flee. That's a great promise, amen? That's a great promise. And the last thing I'll say on this verse, probably, right, is that this also points to the, the final and also the continual victory of Christ here and now and the victory to come. It's amazing to me that we serve a God not only who's alive, but has already accomplished the victory like Corinthians talks about. I love that. I love that. 
So he says this amazing thing in verse 7, and then he adds this in verse 8. Check this out. Crazy. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I'm not sure if you came here tonight, like, ready for just an amazing promise, but, like, regardless, you got one, right? Draw near to God, and he will draw near uh, near to you. We're drawing to things all the time. My wife calls it the turtle head. Um, Here's what happens. Uh, Randomly, I'll be watching the television. I don't do it often, but when I do do it, I can get sucked into the stupidest things quickly. Any of the rest of you guys? I'll be watching, like, TBS and some random movie I've never even heard of before that, you know, like, and she calls it the turtle head because when I get zoned in, like, the head, like, kind of comes out like I'm a tortoise. She's, like, talking to me, and I'm not even really watching it. I'm just, like, glazed eyes, right? So it's a darn shame when you start seeing your kids do the same thing. Last night, we're watching America's Got Talent. It's actually, I've changed the name. America Ain't Got No Talent, all right? That's what... And I, I look at, the four, at my three kids, and all of them are doing the turtle head. Like, we're all watching it, and they're just all like this. I'm like, seriously? Uh, one more example. Um, many of you guys have seen this. If you haven't, uh, the jail, the place we're moving, uh, five weeks from tonight, it looks like. August 22nd will be our first gathering, looks like. Hopefully, we're praying. Uh, there is a homeless man that is sleeping in our uh, front porch, uh, which feels quite appropriate, right? Like a church, this is a great place. And so I've talked to him many times. My kids are so drawn to this man. Literally, every single day they're asking me, hey, how's, how's the man? And, you know, I've talked to him several times, but they, they like, they, every night we're praying for the man. They're like so enthralled of why he doesn't have a home. It's been an amazing opportunity to see, like, and to teach my kids about this, but their hearts are so drawn to this, right? We're drawn to all kinds of things, uh, things that shouldn't be gathering our attention. But the scripture says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Maybe that is the thing that you've been waiting to hear for like a year. I'm just in another dry season. I don't know why I don't feel God like I did two days ago. What's the problem? It's not the same anymore. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I know if you're like new to the church, this at times feels somewhat complicated. Where do I sit? How do I sing? Do I raise my hands? That felt awkward. Like what what happens? (laughs) What happens here? At times it feels complicated, right? But listen, I want to encourage you with this. It's actually really, really simple. It's really, really simple. I'm not saying it's easy. Are we together? I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I want to show you how simple it is. Here's what drawing near to God looks like, okay? First thing is this, submitting to Jesus, period. You want to draw near to God? It begins with bending the knee, bowing to Jesus and Jesus alone. If you're trying to get to God through any other means, it will wind up empty. You won't get there. You submit to Jesus. You draw near to God. That's your only way to him. Okay. You want to draw near to God, then you bend the knee to Jesus. That means the things that Jesus say, you say, yes, sir. Okay, God. Yes, I will follow you. I will do these things. And not out of spite, because there was some commandment printed on a church wall somewhere, but because you love that God is gracious, that he's a creator, that he's poured his mercy on you, you realize he's worth following. That's what some of you are yet to realize. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Submit to Jesus. Second thing is this, you awe his character through his scripture, through the word. Crazy thing. This Bible, this treasure that we have at our access breathes of the character of God. It's all over the place. If you want to draw near to him, guess what? This whole book is filled with his characteristic traits. 
I know when you're on a personality test and you say you're, you know, three things, guess what? You open that word and God's character, it just, it just doesn't stop. The moment you think you understand how loving he is, then all of a sudden he swoops in and shows you that he's just. And then the moment you think, oh yeah, I get that you're just, God, then boom, he shows he's merciful. His character never stops. You're not reading his scripture, you're not knowing his character, you're not submitting to Jesus, and then you're submitting to Satan. I know it seems crazy that the equation works out that way, but the scripture says so. Agree? Okay. I said that too fast, maybe you didn't get it. I'll slow it down next time. Number three. Number three, fire the laser, please. Um, the third thing is communing with him in prayer. Okay? We bend the knee to the Lord Jesus. We awe his character in his scripture, and we commune with him in prayer. This is simple. Agree? It's simple. Not easy, simple. So me tonight feel so distant. Distant. One of the reasons is you've based all of your relationship on emotions. I'm all about emotions, all four emotions, especially when they meet right theology and doctrine. At that union, it's beautiful, but if it's just like, I don't feel you today, like I did yesterday. I'm in a dry season. It's really simple. Draw near to him. Come to him. Submit to him. You're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about... Listen, if you're, if you're bending your knee to anything else, here's what the scripture is saying. You're not going to feel close to him. Here's the image that's going in my mind. At the jail, we don't have heating and air conditioning yet. Okay? We will, I promise, right? Uh, we don't have it yet. So the whole place is being cooled by these massive industrial fans. You guys know what I'm talking about? These things are amazing. I want one in my room. I already sleep with a box fan literally three inches from my face. Any of the rest of you guys big fan people? All right, sweet. There, there's my people. Let's talk afterwards. We'll gather in prayer. Now, um, when you're near an industrial fan, I mean something that's kicking out some air, right? You stand like 15, 20 feet away from that thing. Like you can kind of feel a little bit, like there's a little bit of a breeze. The more you go to that fan, the more you're, you know, pretty soon you're like hugging the fan. Like, I mean, it's, it's like, it's making my hair more spiky. I mean, it's, it's like you can feel every, every ounce of it. You know what I mean? It's, you know what it is. You're, you're close to it. Like it, over here, like there were some questions. Like, I'm not so sure that this thing's even working. I can't feel it. I'm getting hot and sweaty, right? But, but here, it changes everything. And that's what drawing near to God does. It changes everything. And if you think that you can bend the knee to something else and still be near to God, you are mistaken. Okay. Now, the scripture continues to unfold, but I need you to understand the whole premise, the whole thesis of James's point in this is you must begin your whole walk with God submitting to Jesus. That's where you start. If you think you can start in any other way, you are in error. So he moves on to say some of my favorite words here in this text. In the middle of verse 8, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And here's the encouraging verse. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. The literal Greek of gloom is heaviness. You're like, okay. So um, turn my laughter to mourning and my joy to heaviness. James must be writing to some uh, folks who are taking lightly their sin. He's kind of saying this with a little bit of a sarcastic tone. Like you're chuckling. Like this is funny business or something. That somehow your sin doesn't affect anyone or didn't cost much. Right. So what James is saying is, listen, it's time for you to repent. And you repent sorrowfully. You feel the heaviness of your sin, even just for a few brief seconds. 
so that when you experience God's grace and the weight is lifted, you know the weight and where it went. Are we together, right? Now, just so we understand the importance of repentance, here's what Jesus said in Luke 13. Pretty weighty passage. He says this, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. The Greek word for perish means perish, die, right? You don't repent. You don't repent, you die. Now, I'm going to step down here and get a little bit personal. Um, I feel like one of our biggest struggles in terms of repentance is you say you're sorry to God because you want some blessings. Don't tell me you've never been there before. Caught in a habitual sin, repetitive sin, and you find yourself, man, I better say I'm sorry this time because I've come to a crux in my life where if God doesn't pull through, this thing's all going down. So what do you do? You even get on your knees, make it a little bit more dramatic, put on the worship music, shed a few tears, right? If you ever used the water drops before, like maybe God sees these. Oh yeah, they're real tears, right? Oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh God, I'm so sorry. And by the way, would you mind if you're not too uh, troubled, right? To bless me with X, Y, Z, help me in this relationship, do this thing over here. Have you ever done that before today? The last five minutes, right? That's not repentance. Are we together? It's not repentance. I feel like it's plaguing us. I feel like that's what's making a mockery of the forgiveness of the cross. The cross cost much. God sent his son, died. That cost a lot. I don't know how you look at it, but it did. And because it costs much, and that means repentance should be taken seriously. Jesus said, if you don't repent, you're going to die. Here's what repentance is. It's not saying, oh God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And then I turn right back to my sin and keep eating from the faucet of my flesh. What repentance is, is it's turning completely from my sin and back in the posture, face down, bent before the throne of God. That's what repentance is. But so many of you guys find yourself in this knee jerk. Oh yeah, I'm bent before the Lord, but I just need to taste this. And I'm... The posture is face down before the Lord. That's repentance. And yes, when we struggle, when we fail, which scripture says we will even on this side of the cross, then we as the church become reminders of God's grace and continually repent quickly and turn back to God. He's saying, listen, let your, let your laughter be turning to mourning. You need to take it more seriously. And I'm just going to ask you all straight up. I know there's some guys in here. All right? Guys, when was the last time you cried over your sin? You're like, dude, I don't cry at all, man. Like, I'm big. And, all right. All right, just for a moment, has the sin and the weight of it ever even affected you? I'm not saying that a tear shows that. I asked my father that one time, many years ago, like, Dad, when was the last time you cried over your sin? Because the only time I'd ever seen my dad cry was at a Promise Keepers. 1992, we were at Soldier Field, and I looked up and I saw my dad cry for the very first time as we were all singing How Great Thou Art. When was the last time you wept over your sin because you felt the heaviness of it? Or does your repentance look like, God, I'm sorry. We good now? Good. Let's, 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 let's move on. All right? Repentance is turning, bending the knee, submitting to the Lord. Then he adds this a powerful, powerful truth here in verse 10. One of my favorite phrases actually in the entire book of James, a particular piece of this phrase, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Heart to heart right now, all of us, heart to hearts, okay? Um, plural. Humble yourselves before the Lord. What are you before right now? 
Where are you humbling yourself? Many of you guys are humbling yourself because you know to gain an advantage with that particular male or female, you need to act humble, that you're a servant. And then once you win them over, take advantage of them, even potentially physically or sexually, then you move on your way. Are you humbling yourselves before culture? Humbling yourselves, acting a servant, playing the fool. Or are you humbling yourselves before the Lord? That's the only way that the scripture says you will be in, in some passages lifted up, exalted, blessed, graced, mercied. Right. So I just ask all of you right now to do a bit of self-evaluation. What are you humbling yourself before? Just like you're submitting to something, you're humbling yourself before something. It's just a question and a matter of what it is. So he kind of picks out of the grab bag here an example. A very particular one in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another. What's the word? Brothers, no harm done to those of you who are sisters here in the room, right? All my ladies, any girls in here, right? Okay, six of you, severely outnumbered. Um, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm confused, readers of the church of Jerusalem. I thought the church was a gathering of people who had bent the knee to Christ and some of those who had yet to bend the knee but were interested hearing. They were curious. So why is it then, readers in the church of Jerusalem, that the church just seems to be brought together with a bunch of people who are backbiting, gossiping, judging, defaming, demaming? Like, what's the problem here? When the world looks in, all they do is they see disjointed chaos, a bunch of people who haven't gathered. Have you ever been scared to go to the gathering of the church before? Have you ever been scared to do that? I remember, and I shared, I think, this example a couple weeks ago, but I remember breaking up with a girl uh, in youth group and holding my hymn book, right? You guys remember the hymn books? We're bringing them back here at Matthias. Um, holding my hymn book, right? And looking over and seeing the mom of the girl I just broken, and she was like giving me the stank eye, like right as we're, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm sorry, how great thou art, you know what I mean? Like, I. <laughs> Listen, can I ask you this? Can I ask you this straight up? Have you ever been scared to come here? Because of what someone might say or what they have said? Have you? I don't for one second want that here, ever. But you know what happens? We take lightly our brothers and our sisters, we start judging, and we put ourselves in the place of submission to ourselves, and then the church shows itself to be a gathering of people who what they do is they just come together and they backbite and they all sing the same songs, but at the end of the day, all they do is judge. That's not the church. What would it look like? If all of us, submission to Christ, bent knee to Christ, that this was a place of constant encouragement. Constant. It never ended. And not like fake, like, oh, I hope you have a great day. Like, not fake stuff like that. But genuine, pointing to God's grace always. What would that look like? It almost seems foreign to us, doesn't it? Because we're so used to the canned conversations. How are things going? Things are going all right, man. I'm fine, I'm fine. See you next week. What would it look like if the church all bent to the knee of Jesus finally said, no, 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 listen, let's be a voice, a reminder of God's grace. That's what we do here. Don't you think the world would see the church differently? Don't you think the world who is in chaos already start to see the union that's brought together by the encouragement that's found in Christ? Are we, are we understand? Are we together? Right. That's what this is to be. 
But he's saying you've put yourself in the judgment seat and think that all of a sudden you make the law. You don't make the law. You're not in the judgment seat. You are on bended knee before something. The question is what? Are you bending before? I want this place to be a place of encouragement. Many of you guys know I, that is one of my personal gifts. But listen, I don't care about your personality or your gifts. We are called and commanded to be reminders of God's grace to one another, period. And so we stop looking at each other and going through the 21 lists of checklists. Oh, well, you're this, you're that. Nope, we're not friends. I'll never talk to you again. But they're a brother in Christ, and we're somehow going to worship together in eternity. Like, how does that work out? That seems strange. I'm worshiping with brothers and sisters now just as a picture of what will be later. Does that make sense? We together, okay. All right. So then he ends this, and man, I love this, and I apologize if um, I get a bit fired up here. You're like, I think you already are. Verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. Listen, unbelievable. Listen to this. Listen to this. Have you ever bent the knee to Satan? Lust, desire, sexual morality, whatever your addiction, whatever, whatever. Have you ever bent the knee to Satan and then looked up and saw something there? Have you ever? Have you ever saw something there? No, because he doesn't sit on a throne. You see what I'm saying? Like he's a ruler of the kingdom of the air, Ephesians says, but one day the, the head of the serpent's going to get trampled. There is no substance to him. He is the father of lies, shrouded in lies himself. You never bow the knee to Satan and then look up and he's welcoming you with open hands. It never happens. All he does is, has, is, is have more lust for you. Here, keep following these lies. Keep indulging in this. Keep going down this path. Never. Why? Because there's only one judge and only one lawgiver. And every time you bend the knee to the Lord and you look up, He is always there. Always. You're always looking at a God on a throne with the Son to His right hand and a powerful picture of the God and the Trinity. That's the power of God. And He goes on to say this in the middle of verse 12. He who is able to save and destroy. That's who God is. That's who you're bending the knee to. Someone who can save or destroy. Save or judge. You resist God's judgment. You're like, well, that's harsh. Is grace harsh? It can be yours tonight. Is mercy harsh? You can experience it tonight. Well, how can you put it like that? Because the word does, and that's what we believe to be true. We're not serving and worshiping some God that's a dictator that's sitting up with his gavel. We're worshiping a loving God that in his great grace and mercy sent his son and somehow intimately knows you and I. That's the God we serve. And so this is what he ends with. He says, uh, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are, who are you to judge your neighbor? Like you who are bending the knee to something. And then somehow you think you can put yourself above your neighbor and then judge? No, there's one lawgiver and one judge. Stand up with me. I have a couple more things to share. Um, so imagine this. The example that I gave previously of the military film. And the commander um, is barking out orders. People start raising their hands and everyone has their own way. 
hey, we should do it this way, or how about this? I think this way would save our lives. That battalion is done. They're over. They'll be thrust into chaos. They will be, it's over, it's done. It's, the, it's interesting then that as many voices as there are in this culture, that God has provided us with one voice. One voice. There's no chaos, there's no confusion here. No confusion. He has one voice and all of this is streamlined. You're like, you're like, how should I live? It's right here. And you're like, well, that seems like a dictatorship. It's wrapped in love. And he has your best interest in mind because he has his glory in mind and that's your best interest. It's giving him glory, exalting him. So that's why Galatians 5 says this. And if you haven't heard a thing tonight, I want you to see this text. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Do not submit again to Satan. It provides you nothing. Don't put the burden and the yoke back on. Your bended knee down before the Lord who's sitting on his throne, and that's the only place and the only posture you ever need to be in. But I know some of you tonight feel your knees so stuck in the mud before Satan. You're saying, Mark, there's no way out. You don't understand. You don't understand what it feels like to have no hope. You feel like you can't even get your knees up. That's the blessed thing about my Lord is he will pull you out of your muck and your mire. He pulls you out. You don't have to get yourself out. That's your first problem. Stop thinking about yourself and rest in his grace. That's the great hope. He pulls all of that out, throws you on his back, and carries you home. That's our God. That's the God we can serve. And so I just ask, what would it look like if the whole church finally bent their knee to the Lord and not to Satan anymore? What if the whole church stopped bending their knee to culture or each other and all of us found ourselves right before the throne in that forever posture? That is a beautiful picture. And I'm naive, I'm naive enough to think and have faith enough to believe in the Spirit of God that that's possible. That the church can be marked not with disunity, but unity in the gospel until he comes back. Anyone else? I believe that's possible. So whatever you're submitting to tonight, I ask you to evaluate that and to never do this again, to submit again to the yoke of slavery. That will get you nowhere. So a um, few soft moments here to do what we said earlier, and that's repent. So I'm just going to ask for a couple of moments that we just sit in silence. Is that cool? No one talking, no one praying. Let's just sit out loud at least. No one, let's just sit in silence. And in your own heart, man, seek the Lord. Repent of those things that are burdening you. Come on, let's just sit for a second.